This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. I'm joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. We're going to get right get started here in just a minute. Before we do that, uh, I want to direct you to practicalshepherding.com if you want to access more episodes of the podcast. There's all the podcast episodes that are there, articles, books, uh, all kinds of things, including come stay at the shepherd's house with us. We take possession, we take a couple months off, and then we take possession again of the property in August. So by the time this releases, this will uh, the shepherd's house will be up and going again. So go and apply and come stay with us. You can come up to up and play, uh, stay for us for two nights, up to two nights. We'd love to have you come stay. Brian, also- I met a guy this past weekend uh, who stayed at the shepherd's house and was extremely appreciative. Word spreading, I guess. Word we're starting spreading. to run into people, he, yeah, right? So, so, yeah, come stay with us. It is really an, an amazing place. We're grateful for the family that partners with us to be able to uh, to be able to do this. And also, if you want to give a financial gift to help with the ministry, you can go to practicalshepherding.com, go to the donate page, and you can give a gift there. That is always helpful for those who want to continue to support the ministry. And we're just thankful for those who listen to this podcast. We don't spend a lot of time talking about you, but we're, we were just talking off air that we're just grateful for those who, we have a lot, of, a lot of people who reach out to us and connect with us and encourage us in this, and then send questions in. And so we're grateful for those of you who do that. And actually for the episode today, Jim, we're, we, we are starting to get a lot of questions come in, and we're kind of just barely putting a dent in them in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we're going to start periodically... Uh, when a lot of questions come in, we're going to take one episode and try to tackle, you know, about four or five questions in one episode. And that's what this is going to be. Uh, we'll uh, uh, kind of just refer to it as a Q&A, I guess. And we're going to tackle, uh, try to tackle about four or five questions that have been sent in. We, we've we compiled the questions and some of these have some overlap. So we're going to hopefully try to uh, connect as much as we can around what's being asked of us, what you all are asking us to to address. So, let's, Jim, let's, let's jump right in as we typically do. What's the first question we want to deal with today? Okay, Brian, a uh, question comes in. How to facilitate a welcoming or hospitality plan? And I think what is being brought out there is um, you're at your church, a Lord's Day comes, and there's a, a new family or two new families that come uh, and whether you are a small, medium, large church, uh, how do you ensure that that person feels uh, welcomed and uh, a part of things? So what can you do uh, to facilitate that? Yeah, so I think that there's, especially if you go to um, bigger churches, they usually have all kinds of things, even giving gifts and all that kind of stuff around it. But other churches find ways to be hospitable uh, around that, so I, I think that let's kind of speak, Jim, around the like a normal size church. You know what? What would be a what would be some helpful ways for a regular church to be able to to do stuff like this? So um, <clears throat> why don't we go back and forth? Just some suggestions of things. So what's some stuff that you maybe do? Uh, what's one thing your all's hospitality team, whatever that is, yeah. <clears throat> do for to to welcome visitors? Well, we do have people that are stationed at the doors uh, every week, uh, and this is on a rotation. We've also uh, begun to uh, use, and not everybody's doing it, but some are doing it. Uh, We made name tags for everybody that wanted to have a name tag and and put that name tag on, and a lot of the members are wearing them, Uh, not just the welcoming team. Really? uh, You're passing out name tags. That's interesting. We passed out name tags for those. So. 
Um, 70, 80 people or so have had name tags made in that way. When you go up and you meet somebody and you say, like, hi, I'm Jim. Normally they forget that almost right away. Uh, it's very sad that I, I, I've done the same thing. I'll meet somebody and it, get their name and... I used to be better, but older I get. Anyway, sometimes I'll forget that name or ask them again. But it's a good thing. It, it, it makes people feel, uh, I think, at home. So you you have somebody there, and again, whether you call it a welcoming team or whatever, but somebody at the door, they'll shake their hands, they'll, they'll welcome them, they'll get their names. If one of the elders is around, they may point out, this is one of our elders or this is one of our deacons. Uh, there's where the bathrooms are. Uh, this is the, this is where we have worship. We start in about five minutes. Here's where the nursery is. Here's where the nursery yep. is. So just yep. give some of that basic uh, information and and human contact yeah. uh, with that. That's so that's that's one thing. That, that's really that helpful. We do. That's really helpful. We we had something similar, and you know, one of the I think one of the things to take away from that is you. I mean the. One of the worst things can happen, the very first experience somebody comes in and they have no idea where to go, what to do, where to take their kids. So that may sound basic, but I, I really do want to emphasize how important what you just articulated is. It, as, as is the low-hanging fruit. If you want to, to be hospitable as people are coming into church, make sure you have not just people standing at the door doing that. Can we agree, <clears throat> Jim, you got to have the right people standing at the door. Uh, yes, that's Gre- correct. Greeting people. The uh, the the most curmudgeonly person in your church probably does not need to be <laughs> the most out. socially awkward uh, yeah, person. Socially awkward have, right? person. Maybe find another place. Uh, maybe media might be a good place for them, but probably <laughs> not. <clears throat> probably not the welcoming team. Uh, so that's a good one. Uh, the other thing I would say is, <clears throat> uh, our church was a site. You know, our church was small enough to where we could do this. We we encouraged members <clears throat> to plan on um, uh, after church doing lunch at their house and right. being prepared yeah. to meet somebody new to be able to offer to come bring them to, to their house for lunch. So uh, so that was one of the things our, a lot of people in our church did. It was really effective. <coughs> Excuse me. You can, <coughs> you can have. Go ahead, Jim. Keep going. <coughs> All right. I will, I, I'll <laughs> fill in. Finish that. And one, my throat's bothering me too. So we'll both, we'll go back coughing. And Brian, I've done, we've done something similar. In fact, we had for a time a, a schedule worked out month by month where somebody was the hospitality family. And so it was oh, their job as good. husband and wife to look out. Mm-hmm. So on a given Sunday, first Sunday of the month, it's Tata Monica or whoever. And so they're on the lookout and, and they have prepared to have X amount of number of, of people over. The other thing that we do because of the the facility and because we do an evening worship and because some people travel uh, is that we have a a lunch every Lord's Day at the church. Not not a church-wide lunch, but uh, people bring enough for themselves and for others so that if a family, if somebody's traveling through... Uh, and they, I say to them, I've, I've, I meet them, uh, we're staying at a hotel or something like that. I said, well, what are your plans today? Well, we're going to look for a restaurant. I say, well, listen, we have, yeah, that's great. Let, let me save you 80 bucks and also get you some free fellowship. And, and why don't you just stay here? And thankfully, very often when I say that, you know, they, they will say to me, well, you know, two or three families have already asked yeah. us over yeah, as well. Yeah, that's great. And so I think you just, you need to cultivate that. 
uh, by, in some cases, through uh, some practical application of the ministry of God's Word to be ready. Because that's one of the things we are to do, is to show hospitality. Mm. And Peter adds, show hospitality without grumbling, Mm. uh, which indicates that sometimes it's inconvenient and difficult, but we continue to do it anyway. So last thing I'll say on this before we go to the next question is... Uh, a, a basic tip a pastor can do in hospitality is give time to meet the new people. So pastors are pulled all different directions after church. People want to talk to them, but make it a point, make it a priority, I should say, as the pastor to go find the new people and at least greet them and meet them personally. And I think that goes a long way. That was some, That was a practice that I did all the time. And I found that if people could connect with me in particular, and just meet me, and me get to meet them, and and greet them, and tell me, tell them they were. I was glad that they were there. That became that was a really big deal in a retention idea yeah. around that. So, okay, uh, two final words. Can I give two final two words? Two final words. I, I, okay, so one of them is uh, rethink old methods, uh, such as, hey, if you're visiting here, please stand up and say your name, oh, or everybody, please, please we're going to take do, a moment. Please let's everybody. That. <laughs> Turn around and shake the hand of somebody you don't know. Oh, man. You're going to get into the fellowship uh, listen, time now. When you Come did on. that in the 50s, it's a whole different world. Uh, some people, younger people especially, are probably going to be really creeped out by that. Uh, the church I, I grew up in, well, I grew up, I, I started going when I was 14. They used to do a thing, and they called it Holy Pandemonium. And that was the choir Man. came down while some song got played, and they shook hands with no. people throughout. Are you serious? Yeah. And, oh, man. We uh, should do a whole podcast episode on that. Yeah. Holy right. pandemonium. You might want to rethink that. Um, right, also, question. I would say also very quickly, um, when you start the service, have some opportunity to look out, greet those who are visiting, and it may be that the pastor, as you're preaching, if you're in the middle of a series, catch people up. Say, if you're new here, you haven't been here, we've been going through. It's just a way to acknowledge, I do see you. And I'm thinking about this you, may be your first and I don't want yep. you to feel awkward mm-hmm. about what we're doing and, yep. and what the order of service is, something That's good. like that. So. That's good. Question two. Uh, question two. Uh, how do you pastor a church where the previous pastor or pastors uh, have uh, left in some kind of scandal or shame? Uh, wow. uh, how yeah. do you walk into a situation like that? Uh, how do you move forward? Uh, wh- what are some thoughts, Brian? I know you've dealt probably with this more than I have, uh, either personally or in your long years yeah. of uh, with practical shepherding here. So we recognize a lot of these questions could be their own podcast episode, but but we want to be try to be helpful and just spend a couple of minutes on each one of these. This would be one of them. A couple of things. One thing I would say <clears throat> is that uh, when you come in and realize that's the case. Uh, you need to first do your homework to find out if that actually has happened, which means mm-hmm. do all you can to ask about the history of the church. Me, you know, I think a great practice, if you're the pastor and it's your first year, that you are in everybody's home in some, to some degree, learning about their experience at the church and what's happened. And as you get that accumulated knowledge from the members, that's the best way to find out what has happened the different versions of what yeah, has happened. Right. Um, then once you discover, though, that, that, that I mean, you may have already known that going into the situation, but then you have to, you have to let the church grieve. Yeah. And I think pastors in these situations uh, make a well-intended but critical mistake to, all right, I'm the new pastor. The way we move forward now is we just move forward. Right. And we leave this behind us. That's, that's the way pe- pastors 
want a function. I didn't make this mess. I don't want to have to deal with it. But the reality is part of pastoring the church of a group of pastors that, or a pastor that left in scandal before, they, they nobody led them through the process to grieve what just happened. The loss, the pain that was around that. So I think that's a really important piece to this. Before you try to move forward in things, and you have a golden opportunity to pastor people in that way, to shepherd them, to deal with the loss, to grieve. Well, how do you help people grieve? In any way, like you would any funeral situation. Like you, you want to sit down and let them talk to you about it and be somebody who sits and listens and empathizes and loves them through that. And, and man, if a pastor does that well and seizes the moment to be able to care for folks like that, uh, they will quickly and potentially endure these people to them. To, that will then allow them to be able to move forward from the scandal, whatever has happened. But too many pastors want to just move forward and forget about it. And and human beings don't function that way. And so you have to make sure you, you allow grief to take place. So anything you want to add to that? <clears throat> I think it's very good. I think, I, Brian, something I've learned from you in this, and we've talked in the past about this, is don't take it personally if they're a bit skittish with you uh, to understand that good. Yep. It, it's not personal against you. You may think, well, I'm, I'm preaching well. I'm, I'm leading with integrity. I'm faithful, and they're treating me like— I wasn't a uh, scandal. I, I didn't do the scandal. I didn't do the yeah. scandal. It wasn't me. Know, but, but it, you know, like a, like a second husband might, you know, for a woman whose husband was abusive or yeah. cheated, and then she gets married, and then you're, you're 10 minutes late, and, and she's— worried beyond what she normally would be well it's not you it's 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 what happened in that's the a, past that's a and fair I think comparison you need to be yep. i think you need to be uh aware of that don't be angry about that and all recognize as well that integrity over the long haul uh well it is over the long haul it's mm. not going to happen because You've walked faithfully for two months or even for a year. Yeah, it may take a long time before people are able to trust you. I use another analogy. Uh, I have a rescue dog. Uh, that rescue dog sometimes when I I pick up the leash, she cowers. That's not because yeah. I have whipped her with her leash. It's because somebody else did it in the past. Yeah, that's good. And that's good. Um, and unlike the dog, you can maybe reason, but you know, to say something. Uh, but we do have to recognize that that leaves a scar, uh, and a a patient endurance. And and I would also say, if you're going to come into a situation like that, commit yourself to be there for some length of time yeah, to, to bring about that healing. If you if you come and you go. Um, it, it will add to the pain of that congregation. That, that's a lot. I'll add one last piece to that, uh, kind of piggybacking on that, because uh, I think you need to be committed, feel the weight to be faithful in that situation. You know, yeah. the worst thing you could do is come, is come in and and commit a scandal yourself and yeah. just just destroy that church. So I yeah. I know of a situation. I served in a church where the pastor uh, the pastor lost a quarter of a million dollars of the church's money in the stock market. The next young pastor comes in, and inside a year, it has a has an affair with a woman in the church. Mm. And the, what I watched happen in that this, that church as a result of like two scandals back to back like that, yeah. it's devastating. So if there's ever any motivation to just be faithful, to plod and be faithful and love people and preach and do your ministry, it would be in a in a situation like that that you inherit uh, a scandal like that. So, um, <clears throat> all right, another question. Question three. All right, here we go. Uh, how do you motivate uh, staff and deal with perceived weaknesses? 
How do you deal with staff and how do you deal with perceived weaknesses? Man, yeah. Is that too uh, is that too big a bite? No, it's not. I mean, it can't. I mean, we can we can do it in a small bite. There's plenty of big bite to take. I think. Yeah, I, I think as far as just thinking a couple of just practical things. One is establish uh, a genuine, honest relationship with your staff. Yes. So if you don't have the relationship, you cannot speak into their life. Should you be able to speak into their life as the pastor and as their boss? Yes, but that's not usually how it works. So I have found that. Uh, a lot of times, and I, by the way, I see this a lot with newer pastors coming into the church. They inherit staff that they're not crazy about, and they want to fix them, and they get really impatient by that. And I say this, this is the same advice to every single one of them, whether they have merit or not in their frustrations. Look, you can try to fix them, but but they won't listen to you, and they won't respond to you if they don't feel like that you love them, mm-hmm. and they won't respond to you if they don't trust you, care, right. have their good in mind in, in whatever your hard thing you're going to say to them. So I know that's not what a lot of pastors want to hear. They want the quick fix on how do I deal with this staff member I inherited. But the reality is you have to first build a relationship with them, convince them that you that you love them and earn their trust. And then that doesn't that also doesn't guarantee they're going to listen to what you have to say to address their weaknesses. But that is the best situation to be able to address their weaknesses. Thoughts on this? Yeah, a couple of things. So full disclosure, I, I, I'm in a church setting where our staff, if you want to call it our staff, the only staff we have is our elders and our deacons. So uh, we don't have uh, a bunch of other. But you have, we don't, paid, you we, have paid men. Yeah, we you. have. We have. Yeah. So um, uh, in our eldership, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's here's what I would uh, I, I would say is that you need to make a differentiation. We're talking about motivation between unpaid staff and paid staff. If you have a volunteer staff, so what is their so how do you motivate them? Well, how do you motivate anybody? You motivate people through uh, an obedience to Christ and a love for Him and for people. I mean, that's those are your motivations. You, what are you What are you trying to do? Well, we're trying to help facilitate the building of the kingdom of God in our, our local assembly. We're trying to promote peace and love and unity and outreach in whatever way that we can. You know, so what are we, so uh, hopefully the people that are in those roles are people that share in that common vision. Mm. I think you also need to have some way in which the staff positions are defined according to what, what are the expectations of it. Because if it's ill-defined, I'm the outreach coordinator. So what is what do you expect? What are you expected to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So what? What constitutes duty? So again, if you had a cleaning crew, and you say I want you to clean the building, well, for some people, you know, that that's going to mean a different thing to different people. For you, what that means? Hey, make sure the bathrooms are clean. Make sure there's paper towels. Make sure there's soap in the dispensers. Make sure the sanctuary's vacuum. And, and, you know, somebody else, that means a, a whole bunch of other things, too. But you have to define what it is so that whoever's doing it knows what their job is. And you're able then to hold them accountable. If, there, if there's mm-hmm. nothing definitive, there's no real accountability. That's good. And then you, you're going to have to deal with, you know, whether or not the person that has taken this role, particularly if it's a volunteer, and you say, this is the hard conversation. Look, you know, we, we were looking for somebody to volunteer and the, the old ratio, whatever it is, 20% of the people do 100% of the work, 80% of the people do nothing, and mm-hmm. in, in, in very often in communities, it's just the way that it works. Well, here's somebody willing to help, 
and you think to yourself, you're just not really good at it. And and that's a really that's a really hard thing. Somebody's you know, you're looking for Sunday school volunteers. We need volunteers, and somebody says, I'd like to teach, and you're like, you're terrible at this. <laughs> I appreciate that you're willing, but you're just not gifted. And that's the hard conversation. So part of what I want to say in that is. We need love, but sometimes we do need, for the sake of the edification of the whole, we may need a bit of, of courage to mm-hmm. be able to say to somebody, looking, I think this is just not the best role for you. Yeah. We love you. We appreciate you. Honor what they're doing. Celebrate their willingness, but you might need to have the hard conversation that they're not the right one for that role. That's good. Yeah, like have the hard conversation if necessary, but be patient to determine whether it's an actual necessary conversation. Yeah. Because sometimes we just have to leave with maybe the best person's not in this, but they're competent and they're doing fine and that's where they want to serve. Last thing I'll say on this, because just reflecting back, I've a a great deal of the questions I've gotten recently revolve around this. Like there's a lot of staff issues going on in, in churches and so uh, this is my last thing I will say on this. I, I think it's helpful to have some kind of uh, formal annual review. Like if you have a church, you have several mm. staff people. Uh, I know that that kind of feels like corporate America, and it is in some ways. But if you have multiple staff in your church, uh, that you've got a lot of times it's just helpful to have a mechanism in place where you actually can address the weaknesses if you need to. And then and they're expecting you to because it's your annual review in a way. Then you can address them, and then you're on the record um, with what you're supposed to do with that annual review. And then the next year around, it comes around, and it's not any better. You're able to address that. So it, it, it sets you up. If you end up having to remove a staff person just because they're incompetent, uh, it, it's not a it, – it's – it's easier to not make that so personal if you already have a system in place, a process in place to be able to handle it that way. But again, I think that's something that is more beneficial for larger churches that have multiple staff and you, and you're dealing with, with that. And and even having some kind of HR department, if you really get into a place where you have several staff and you have somebody, but again, most churches aren't dealing with multiple, multiple, multiple staff. Like you're talking about, they're dealing with part-time staff. They're dealing with leaders and volunteers, and that that kind of becomes its own conversation. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, and I might just say real, uh, the last word on this is that, uh, generally speaking, particularly in a smaller congregation, if you're having a problem with somebody, you shouldn't probably shouldn't wait to that year end of the year review, particularly if it's something that could be fixable. Certainly, and, right. And to be able to, again, and it gets back to this being relational, being known for your love, being able to come alongside somebody. If you have integrity and you're loving. You ought to be able to come, go to people who, who really, you know, you're convinced they shouldn't be on staff if they don't have a desire to serve. Yep. They really are trying to do right, but they may be struggling. They may need a word of encouragement or, you know, but, and I think if you could do that, like, well, wh- why did you wait six months to say that to me? If you'd said it to me six months ago, things would have gone better. No, I so, think it's a good point. I think the best case scenario is to do both. Yeah. Have, so have the I loving agree. conversation yeah. as you go. Right. Because then when you come to an annual review, they're probably not going to be surprised you're going to bring that issue up because you've already brought it to their attention. Right. So next question, Jim. All right. We've got two more. All right. Uh, how involved should a pastor be uh, in the Sunday school program uh, in, in, a, in a church? How much should he oversee? How much does he need to be involved? Does it need to come from, does it need to have elder, full elder approval of every step, every teacher, every yeah. bit of curriculum? 
Uh, how much are his fingers uh, in that particular pie? I think we first have to acknowledge that there's a bunch of churches now that don't even have a Sunday school. So they maybe have a small group thing or you know, whatever that is. But whatever that looks like in some form or fashion, On uh, we're talking Sunday morning in addition to the, the normal worship service. And a lot of guys are inheriting a Sunday school program that has existed in a church for a long time. Mm. And then they're trying to figure out what I do with this and how do I make it useful. I assume that's probably where the conversation is coming from. So having said that, I, I think we have to... Um, I think generally pastors need to give some general direction of Sunday school pro- as part of the... you know, To fit into the, the overall vision of the church, but... Um, but to not be so hands-on is, is what I would say. Now, that means you got to have teachers that, that actually can teach and mm. uh, that you're, you have confidence in. But I think, in a general sense, it's unsustainable long-term if a pastor's the one teaching Sunday school every week and preaching every week. I know you've done that, by the way, for a long, long time. But I think thanks, gener- thanks Brian, what, for telling me how I'm I think you, uh, that, No, I think you, you're you uniquely gifted to do that, Oh, uh, there you go. I think it's too exhausting. Good, good schmooze. You like good that? Catch. I think, but no, seriously, I think it's too exhausting for a pastor to have to do that for a long per- period of time, periodically, and to be maybe one that's in a rotation. But So I use the Sunday school, you know, I didn't teach Sunday school very rarely. Uh, I used it as a time to equip a few other really, you know, gifted teachers and that became their weekly ministry to the church, and it became very fruitful. But you have to also be careful with that because if you're not putting strong teachers in the Sunday school, again, a lot of people aren't wired to do Sunday school now. If you don't make it worth their while, people people won't come. Mm. So that's also a so that's also something you've got to you've got to think about. But I but as far as getting in the weeds of Sunday school, I think that's generally unhelpful for a pastor unless he has nobody else to delegate, right. and then you got to start raising people up. So there's a couple of thoughts for me, Jim. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier, I thought, well, we don't really have staff. I, I don't know if I would, maybe this could be considered a staff position. We have recently acquired, or, or that we have, uh, one of our young ladies is now our Sunday school coordinator for the youth. Uh, and so that she was, she is a liaison, whatever, you know, so that she does, she meets with one of our pastors fairly regularly. They go over things together. And so the elders are aware of, or, or to be made aware of, of who's teaching and, and what the curriculum is. Again, generally uh, one of our elders is, uh, that's his part of his labor, part of his work. But we have somebody appointed who's very competent, who's uh, a, a good administrator in that regard. And that's been very helpful because in the past, you know, one of us tried to think through or, or was involved in trying to help out and coordinate who's going to teach and, and all of that and realize that that's something we could take off our plate and, and give to yep. another. So it, we're, we're not indifferent to it. Uh, we're informed about it. We know who's doing it. And we might occasionally be involved in if there's an issue uh, that we need to talk about or a, you know, maybe a teacher that we need to say, you know, this isn't really going well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids aren't profiting or, or whatever, if we become yeah. aware of that. So we might need to do that. But we're so uh, it is some involvement. It's not it's not the full hands on involvement that we might have in other aspects of church life. I want to add one more thing to because the spirit of the question, at least coming from a lot of pastors, is usually I've inherited this Sunday school cl- issue or Sunday school classes. It's kind of a mess. What do I you know, what do I do with it? And I I would. I would encourage a pastor, unless there's heresy being taught, 
uh, to that's not one of the first places you try to deal with if you're a new pastor coming in. Okay. Uh, focus on preaching the word in the main service. Focus on what happens when you gather for worship and and focus there. And then over time, you can kind of begin to assess how, how, how the Sunday school program is going, who's teaching, who you can then delegate to. You almost need time to figure out how well people are doing. You almost don't want to be so quick to respond just because of maybe one or two things that would happen. So be patient as you're trying to figure out what your role is and the things that you want to change. All right, last right. question. Last question. Here we go. All right, I think this is a fashion question, unless I'm misunderstanding it. How many hats should a pastor wear? <laughs> well, we. Uh, I have. I know some guys who would want to make that a whole podcast episode to talk about caps they're, for they're, sale. You ever seen kind of a hat guy, guy, you know? So, uh, so <clears throat> obviously, and what kind of hat should a pastor kind of wear? So yeah. So how many? How many things should? How many? Oh, uh, that's what it's. Uh, how, how many? Uh, how many? Uh, plates should be spinning in the air right. for a pastor. Uh, <clears throat> what a great and, and common question, mm-hmm. and one that I would say every single pastor has to deal with. Mm. <clears throat> so I, I would respond to that as the goal is a balance of leading, exercising, oversight is what we're called to do from First Peter chapter yeah. five. Uh, the moment we start micromanaging and trying to do that with everything in the, in the church. We will frustrate our leaders. We will frustrate our people. So I just want to start there. That's the paradigm. We can pick apart that as much as we want, but that's yeah. the paradigm, I believe. The balance in exercising oversight and yet not micromanaging everything in the church. But we have over, we're to have oversight over everything. Uh, so then we have to then be we have to be intentional about delegating to people, even areas maybe we don't want to delegate, but we can't do everything if we're going to have oversight. Um, we cannot be in the weeds with everything that is there. Yeah, I think some of that's going to change as, as time goes on, and, and it will depend on things like the size of your congregation. So you know, if you're called to pastor a little rural church where there is maybe 15 members and the previous pastor cut the grass and did, did minor maintenance and, uh, and did all the visitation, you know, so he's kind of a combination between uh, – facility manager, pastor, deacon, you know, so if he doesn't have deacons, he doesn't have, and so he may wear more hats, and and some of that may be okay, depends on the size of the congregation. You need to be able to ask yourself, what, you know, again, you're dealing with this, Brian, already, but, you know, what are the fundamental things that I am commanded to do? And I, so I'm, I'm commanded to preach the word and watch over souls as those that will give an account. Yep. I might be able to do that in a smaller church where I also set things up and, and get the sound running. And maybe I know a guy, I mean, he played the piano, you know, I mean, he did, he did almost everything. And, and you might be able to do that with a smaller congregation. As that congregation grows and as those other things impinge upon your ability to preach the word mm-hmm. or to give counsel to your people or to meet with your people, then you need to say to them, look, something has to, something has to change mm-hmm. uh, in this because I'm not able to fulfill my calling. Mm. So I had a pastor say to me years ago, it was very helpful. He said, you got to remember the fundamentals. And this was at an early, earlier period in my ministry. I was a sole elder. Uh, there was a lot of things beginning to happen. The church was growing. A lot of this was in ninety six, ninety seven. Uh, the effects, the changeover at the seminary was coming. Guys who were reformedish and wanted expository preaching. Uh, this is 
pre-church uh, revitalization going on, or some of this was just getting started, you know. So mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of churches with men that uh, held to some of the convictions. So they were beginning to be taught. Students were beginning to be drawn. They didn't have a place to go. Some of them were coming to my church. And all of a sudden here I was a young guy, had a lot of younger guys. I was young, but I had younger guys seeking help and uh, wanting to be, you know, mentored and and all of this. And, uh, and other doors of opportunity for ministry started coming up and and these guys weren't members and and all of the rest and my pastor from back home said jim just remember what you're called to do Mm -hmm. if you have opportunity to do good in other ways fine but you can't do it at the expense of what you're called to do and that's to shepherd your flock and to preach the word that's what you have to do that's what that's what you're going to give an account for not how many guys you trained not not books that you wrote not conferences you spoke at not travels you were engaged in Mm -hmm. all exciting as all of that may be and as much as you may want to do that that can't come at the expense of what you're called to do so so you have really you have two primary hats that you're called to do Mm -hmm. you may again be given the size of your church and lack of volunteers and older people there and whatever the case may be there may be a period of time and so you need to pray that and trust that god will bless your ministry with conversions and maybe new people coming and that from them you will train people to be able to share in the share in the work and give yeah. some of your smaller hats right. uh, to them to be able to carry. Yeah, that's a good word. I, I, I would refer to my good friend Mark Clifton and the the uh, wonderful uh, uh, Nam replant team that I work with in so many different ways. They have come up with this idea. I think is very helpful for revitalization, but also I think just for pastoring. They refer to the guys who should go do revitalization as resourceful generalists. Mm. And I think that term is very helpful Mm. to just realize pastors have to do everything, potentially. Um, And if to not resent the fact that sometimes you have to do I remember, I mean, I cleaned the bathrooms at our church the first four years because there was too everybody's too old to be able to do it. And so um, eventually I got I was able to give that up, which I was pretty thankful for. But (laughs) You know, you just have to be ready and willing to do whatever, sure. and then hopefully you can raise somebody up from that. Last thing I want to say on this, though, is I think this could be part of this question, too, and I, and I want to address it. How many hats do you wear? You know, how many plates do you spend? And that includes how much ministry outside of your own church are you part So, you know, there's a lot of guys who are involved in local association work or pastor fellowships or whatever, and and I think that that, I think that is a positive thing in a local church pastor's life. But it's it's got to it's certainly got to be balanced with everything else. It's it's not supposed to be your first priority, uh, as you t- are t- talked about. There are, there's a couple of main hats. If you're going to be a local church pastor, this is what you do. But I do think there's profit in uh, networking and doing ministry with other churches and other organizations yeah. as as part of a, as being a local church pastor. So I do want to throw that that would be a a plate that would spin, but you don't want it to become multiple you don't want to overtake your ministry otherwise you're you're losing your first priority in that so all right jim we 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 did we covered all five questions that we were wondering if we could do that but we we pulled it off wow 35 minutes again here we go so why don't you take a minute and and close us up and just pray uh for all these different things we've talked about it and that that they would potentially show to be helpful in some way the pastors listening thanks Uh, our Father, we are reminded uh, in, in just even these questions that there are many burdens that many of your uh, shepherds are bearing right now and uh, many ways in which we feel we need help. And Father, pray that 
uh, even what we have talked about today uh, would at least be some encouragement uh, to those who are listening uh, to be able to profitably uh, carry out the ministry appointed to them. We ask your mercy and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.